exactly why God wanted this particular song sung today, because this song's been a long time. Uh, Gideon was hoping to sing it earlier this year uh, as a duet, and that fell through. Then he was scheduled to sing it again, and he got sick, and so that fell through. Then he was scheduled to sing it last week, and y'all wouldn't have heard it if he sang it last week, because we were not here. And so for whatever reason, uh, God chose this moment, this hour, this day for this song. And so I think it'll be a blessing to you. I think it'll be a help to you, especially in the days. And, you know, uh, pray, pray for him. You know, uh, 9 o'clock when you have, um, like we do, sinuses and allergies, 9 o'clock is not an ideal time to sing. And, um, you know, if, if we were to put Sunday school in between, this would actually be an 8.30 service, which would be even more challenging. Uh, but anyway, listen as Gideon ministers today in a song I think that will be a blessing to your heart. I don't 
Thank you, son. You blessed me today. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and let's go to the familiar story of the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 today, and we'll be looking at several scriptures, and you're probably going to have to just jot some of these down uh, as we go for time's sake. Um, But we're going to jump into this again. And um, we don't always get our way. Have you found that to be true in your life? We don't always get our way. Carter, a young boy, uh, sat down at the kitchen table uh, to write a letter to God. And his letter to God was all about the presents that he especially wanted at Christmas time. And he began to write. He wrote, I, I've been good for six months now. And then he paused and he crossed out six months. And, and he wrote in three months in its place. Again, he, he hesitated and he marked out three months and he wrote in, Two weeks. And finally, he put his pencil down and walked into the living room and he stood in front of the wooden nativity set on the coffee table. And he looked at it and he, he picked up the figure of Mary. And then he returned to his letter and he began writing these words, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. You know, <laughs> you know the author that I was reading who, who shared that story said we smile and and laugh at uh, Carter's attempt to manipulate because we know it's an empty threat. The, the small statue that uh, he held in his hands that day of Mary was just a figurine, but he mentioned something important, and that is we too are real prone to reduce the players, the figures of the Christmas story, to just a set of figures, to just a story. And we can begin to try to manipulate things to get it just the way that we want it to be. You know, when you sit out in the nativity scene, you're in charge and you get to put the figures however you think they should be. But that's not always the way it is in life, is it? Our plans don't always mesh with God's plans. And when our plans and God's plans are not the same, we have a decision to make. And that is, how are we going to respond to God's plans for our life? And I believe that Mary's life speaks to this whole issue. I think that Mary can help us, especially with the mess that we're in right now and the way our lives are going and, and things have not turned out. You know, our, our whole year pretty much has gone off the rails. And uh, it's not gone the way that we thought it was going to go. And, and, and really, there's not an end. We can't quite see the end of the tunnel yet. And, and we can very easily forget that uh, God is in charge and, and the characters in the Christmas story, they're, they're not just a, it's not just a story or a play or a dramatic presentation. These men and women were living, breathing, uh, flesh and bone people just like us. Uh, they had hopes and dreams. They laughed and they cried. They were as real as we are. They were just living before our time. They were living in a different culture at a different time. But they're more than just figurines in a story. They're more than just a nativity set. They're men and women who experience so much of what we experience. And this year we're seeking to see Christmas from Mary's perspective, seeing Christmas through Mary's eyes. And um, I hope you got a chance to watch last week's message. If you didn't, you can go back and find it online. But, but we studied Mary looking at an angel. And we've studied, of course, the story here in Luke chapter 1. I want to go back to that story today. And I want to show you something else that Mary saw. So we're in Luke chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 26. Probably familiar words to you if you were brought up in church. 
if not, listen in carefully to these wonderful words. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy Spirit who is to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy One, rather, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible Then I want you to notice verse 38. We're going to focus in on verse 38 today. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's get our bearings. Remember, Mary is a virgin. She's espoused or engaged to a young man by the name of Joseph. Uh, cultural norms. She would have been somewhere probably between the ages of 12 or 14, maybe 15. We're not certain. But she was engaged to be married. They're, they are legally bound together. Their, their engagement was a lot more binding than our engagements are. And as she's there waiting for that day where she would join her husband, Joseph, an angel bursts in on the scene and tells her she's going to give birth to the Messiah. And um, verse 38 shows us her response. It's one of submission. It's one of surrender. It's one of saying, I will receive God's will for my life. Now, beloved, this story changed her life forever. Um, It changed Joseph's life and it changed our life. This was not her plan, mind you. This was God's plan. And I want to walk through today and show you how she responded, how she submitted, and look at all the things that went along with that. Because what she looked at, really, is she looked at the angel and then she looked at her own life. And she surrendered her life to God. She surrendered her plans to God. She surrendered everything that she was to God. She gave her very body to God. And I want to show you some important lessons that we should learn from this story and practice in our own life. And the first one is this. Notice that she submitted before she knew all the details. She submitted before she knew all the details. Um, Mary doesn't say a whole lot in this encounter with Gabriel the angel. In fact, we only have two statements from her recorded in the Scripture. If she said anything else, we're not told, so we assume she didn't. In verse 34, she asks a very obvious question. And that is, how can I give birth? Because I've never known a man in a sexual way. 
And then we have a statement from her in verse 38 where she simply says, let it be to me according to the Lord's word. I surrender. I submit. Here is my surrender. Here is my life. Let it be to me according to the word of the Lord. Now, this is remarkable. In this brief encounter with an angel, um, Mary said, yes, change my life totally and completely. She asked just one obvious question. She was told the Holy Spirit will, will put this child within you. That was enough for her. She said, okay, I'm in. I'm here. Let it be to me according to thy will and thy word. You know, one of the struggles we often face in following God's will for our life is right here. We want to know all the details. We really want the Lord to kind of get a road map out or an itinerary and say, all right, let me fold this out. I want to show you where we are here and here's where we're going to go. Here's where I'm taking you. But that's not the way the Lord works. So he can give you all the details if he wants to. But all, most of the time, it is a step-by-step process where he says, go and obey. And we go and obey. And he shows us one step at a time. You see, knowing all the details is not walking by faith. It's walking by sight. Faith says, I don't know exactly where we're going, but I trust that you do, Lord. And I'm going to follow. You know, you think about in the Bible when God would call people, when he called Abraham back in the book of Genesis. I don't know if you remember what he said to him, but it was not much concerning the call. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, listen, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. I mean, that, that's just a pretty general broad call. Leave your family, leave your country and go where I'm going to send you and you just follow me. But we want to know all the details. You know, sometimes God is leading in our lives. We don't even realize it. If you keep reading the book of Genesis, you get to the story of Joseph, probably my favorite Bible character of all. And God worked in Joseph's life and he gave him some dreams. And then it seemed like the dreams were dashed and his life was just pretty much going to be one of servitude and hardship until he died. And he sent him ahead to Egypt. But if you remember when his brothers finally came and his dreams were fulfilled, he said, you meant it for evil and selling me and sending me off. But God meant it for good. God sent me ahead. And so the call upon his life was one that really was step by step and one filled with hardship. What about the disciples when you get to the New Testament? How many of them Jesus just said, follow me, follow me, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. And they left all and followed him. You see, beloved, God doesn't have to lay out all the plan, all the details, the whole picture for us. He can if he wants to, but it's enough that he says, come, follow. And when he says, come and follow, we are to obey. Mary knew some of the details, it seems. You keep reading here in Luke chapter one, you get to Mary's song. Verses 46 to 55 has Mary's song. and I would encourage you to read it. We don't have time to read it today. And, and she talks about, so it's obvious she knew the Old Testament. She knew prophecy. She knew the scriptures. She was a godly young lady. But not all the details. But she submitted anyway. Mary submitted before she knew all the details. Secondly, can I just tell you this? She submitted before she knew all the implications. All the implications. This calling upon her life had a lot that came along with it. This was going to forever alter her Life, her family, her time, her attention. You know, if you've ever welcomed a new one into your home, you've had a little one come into your home, it changes everything. 
It changes everything. I often joke with maybe first-time parents that have not yet had a child. I say, get some extra sleep now. Make sure you, you kind of bank up some sleep. It changes everything. Just inviting a little one to your home changes everything. But imagine inviting God in the form of a baby in your home. Talk about a life-altering situation. But before even Jesus is born, I want you to think about the implications of this submission, this will of God in her life. Now remember, Mary is not sinless. She was a sinner just like us. She's in need of a Savior. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, in the early church, you find Mary along with the others in the early church praying. She was not sinless. But in this particular issue, she had not sinned and gotten pregnant out of wedlock. She had committed no sin here. This pregnancy was not a result of sinning against God. It was the result of the grace and favor of God. But nonetheless, to everybody else looking in on Mary, they wouldn't see it that way. To everybody else that would see Mary pregnant, they would see anything but the favor of God. In fact, it would be viewed in the worst possible light. Have you heard about Mary? Did you see Mary? Did you hear the news? And the truth of the matter is, we would have looked at her the exact same way. We would have thought the same thing. We would have said, can't believe that. She was spouse that nice young man, Joseph. Look what she's done. She's brought shame and reproach and sin upon herself and her family. Notice some of the implications of this. It impacted her relationships. You know, you can only hide a pregnancy for so long. Did you know that? I mean, eventually that belly gets to the point where you just can't, you can't hide it any longer. If you go out, people are going to notice. She had to face her parents with this news. And, and I don't know what God may have done to prepare them, but she would have to go to her parents and let them know, by the way, I'm a child. What about Joseph, her espoused husband, the one that she was going to spend her life with? Can you imagine? Now, remember, they're real people, but who's going to believe the story? Now, I'm pregnant, and I haven't, I haven't known a man, though. In fact, an angel came and told me that not only am I going to have a child, but this child is going to be the very Son of God. Right. Yeah. She had to face her friends, her neighbors with the news. And I mean, honestly, she wouldn't have to say anything. Just as she walked down the path, just as she walked down the road, Imagine people looking and pointing and whispering, maybe outright mocking her. The gossip mills were running over time, which brings us to her sec- the second point on this, and that is it impacted her reputation. In reality, there was no way for her to overcome what was going to be said about her. She was innocent, but she was proven guilty in the eyes of everybody just, just upon sight. What could she do? What could she say? As she walked about, imagine what others said about Mary, the wagging tongues, the disapproving looks, the condemnation she could feel as she just walked along in front of others in her hometown. Painful. It appears that this even followed Jesus into his adulthood and ministry. Jot this reference down and listen as I read it. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 37 through 41. Or you can go there, put your finger in Luke, and go to John 8, 37 through 41. Jesus speaking there says, it's very interesting. 
Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. And John eight thirty nine says, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But then he says, verse 40, but you now or you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. And I want you to hear what they say in John eight forty one. John eight forty one. Jesus says, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. It seems right there, there was a cut, an accusation, a sticky to humiliate, diminish. We weren't born of fornication, Jesus. We weren't born of fornication. In other words, you were, we weren't. It impacted her reputation. It also impacted her residence. What I mean by that is they had to live unsettled for a while. You know, Jesus was born in a place that was prophesied and planned and exactly where God wanted to be born. But after his birth, you know, the shepherds came and rejoiced. But then we find them later in the story, they're residing somewhere else. And you remember that wise men came and visit it with them, and they appeared before Herod the king. And he says, oh, well, when you find out where this, this king is, let me know so I can come and worship him. And if you remember that the Lord, he worked there in Matthew chapter 2. Um, the Lord tells Joseph in a dream to, to take the child and go to Egypt. In other words, to be able to save his life. And so they flee and they depart for Egypt. And in Matthew 2.15, they were there until the death of Herod. And then you keep reading in Matthew chapter 2, you come down to verse 19, Herod is dead and the angel appears again and tells Joseph in Egypt, he says in Matthew 2.20, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And they start back and then in verse 22 of Matthew 2, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And in Matthew 2.23 it says, He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. In other words, beloved, giving her life to the Lord meant that her life was turned upside down. And it was not just residing next to family. No, it was fleeing for the, the, the very life of their child and, and being in Egypt and coming back and detouring. She submitted, though, before she knew all of this. She said yes to God. Yes, be it unto me according to your word. She submitted before she knew all the details, all the implications. It impacted her relationships, her reputation, her residence. Her life is turned upside down. But she still said yes. And she didn't even know about all this. But there's a third lesson. And that is this one. She submitted before she knew exactly how it all would end. She submitted before she knew exactly how it all would end. Now I want to be careful here. We don't know how much Mary knew about a lot of this. We don't know exactly how much she knew was going to take place with Jesus and the ending of his earthly life. But you know, as I look at the Scripture, I think about that there was obviously a lack of knowledge 
among the disciples. Even though Jesus would tell them, even though the Old Testament prophesied what was going to happen, we find a story where, where Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to have to go and I'll be delivered and you know, I'm going to have to die. And you remember what happened is Peter, he takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. He said, oh, no, Lord, you, not you. No, may it never happen to you this way. And you remember the story that Jesus said what some strong words to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. In other words, what you're saying is not right. That's not the plan. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to go and die. I'm here to give my life a ransom for many. So when I look at the the ignorance among the disciples, I have to imagine that it's safe to say that, that Mary didn't know exactly all the details that were coming when it came to Jesus' life. Especially when it comes to the cross. Now she's given a hint. You're in Luke chapter 1 right now. Go to chapter 2. And she's given a hint. Luke chapter 2. We'll pick up the reading at verse 33. We're going to find Simeon's blessing upon them. Luke chapter 2 verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then in Luke 2, beginning at verse 34 and 35, we have this blessing from Simeon. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. But then notice verse 35. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Hmm. Speaking there, of course, of the cross, as Mary would stand and see her son be crucified between two thieves. You know, it's helpful to be reminded that not all of God's plans for us are sunshine and roses. There are days of hardship, there are days of sorrow, there are days where we struggle greatly. But I want to give you this lesson. It's a key takeaway today. And it's this. Mary's story, Mary's story was part of a bigger story. That is Jesus' story. And beloved, can I just remind you that our story as well is part of a bigger story. We're not just here frittering away our lives, seeking to fill it up with whatever. There's a purpose to our life. We're part of God's story. Now, we're a small part, but we're still a part. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, just as he did Mary's life. We don't always understand it. It didn't always make sense to us, but God is working. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's heart-wrenching. Sometimes it's joyful. But God is working out His plan for our life. And what we need to do is do what Mary said, and that is, Behold the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Romans says it this way in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, be you transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. In trust and faith and dependence to say, God, here is my life, here's my body, here's my everything, whatever you want to do with me, I'm in. 
I'm trusting you. Maybe you doubt, though, and say, I don't know. Can God really use me? Well, be encouraged from Mary, this obscure young lady in a really in not much of a place who was used by God. I'll close. We're out of time. But I want to close with a story from the one book, one year book of amazing stories from Robert Peterson. He talks about Slats Grobnik. Let me tell you about Slats Grobnik. Isn't that a great name, by the way? Slats Grobnik. You see, Slats Grobnik, he made a few bucks selling Christmas trees. And just before Christmas, when all the trees had been picked over, a ragged couple came onto the lot. And they went from tree to tree. And as they turned the price tag over the tree, it was obvious they didn't have enough money to buy a tree. And then the woman, she spied a a discarded scotch pine that had been consigned to the outer darkness of the lot. And it didn't look so bad on one side, but it was terribly scrawning on the other side. And you know what? Not far away stood another tree, and it was a pitiful-looking tree. And, and, and the needles on one side were all eaten away. I mean, they were just two not-so-good trees. She whispered in her husband's ear, and he came to the man and asked if three dollars would be enough to buy those two trees. Well, Slats figured he wasn't going to be able to sell these trees anyway, so he agreed. He sold them a tree and he watched as they they walked away, dragging their two scrawny trees, leaving a trail of pine needles in their wake. Well, a few evenings later, Slats was walking home and he went by a dilapidated apartment building and he noticed a magnificent Christmas tree up in the window. Now, the decorations were not much, but the tree itself was the type of tree you didn't need to do much about. The tree was just a beautiful tree. And as he's looking, he looks down and he sees that same ragged couple sitting on the front porch of that dilapidated apartment building. He said, that's a beautiful tree up in the window. Yep, the man replied with pride. That's our tree. Actually, it's the two trees that you sold to us. Slats says, well, how can that be? I sold you the two worst trees on the entire lot. The man responded, I know, but my missus is clever. She had me work those two trees together where the branches are bare. We formed one tree out of the two and wired them together tight. And in fact, the branches are so thick you can't even see the wire. And on that night in front of that dilapidated apartment building, Slats Grobnik learned a secret. And it's this secret, beloved. You can take two trees that aren't perfect, that have flaws, that might be homely, that nobody else would want, but if you put them together just right, you come up with something beautiful. And beloved, Christmas is the story of God taking the flawed And making it beautiful. God wired together an ordinary carpenter, an unwed teenage girl, a handful of shepherds to tell a Christmas story that has brought joy and peace to the whole world. And the author said, when you feel like you're just a little person in a little place, remember Slat Grobnik's story But can I just say better yet, remember Mary's story. God used her life 
And God wants to use your life. Will you submit your life to him today? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray if anybody here has never given their life to you, they would this very moment. Turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ alone. Lord, I know I'm speaking to a lot of folks this morning who maybe settled it a long time ago. They belong to you. They're your child. They love you. Lord, would you remind them today in the midst of the chaotic season we're in with not knowing from one day to the next what's going to happen, that you have a plan and a purpose for our life and that we're part of a bigger story. And there are people that you have that you want us to share Christ with and to people to love and serve and minister to in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our church, the grocery store, at the gas station. You have a purpose for our life. I pray that each one that's listening to my voice would do what Mary did. And say, Lord, behold your servant. Let it be to me according to your word, to your will. So, Lord, we love you today. And we praise you. And we thank you. And we thank you for what you're going to do as a result of our time together. By using our lives to bring glory to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to close this morning with a beautiful song, Silent Night, Holy Night. And if you need to know Christ, I'd love to talk with you after the service. I, I mask up and be glad to talk with you. But for some, maybe today's the day you need to say, I surrender all. Why don't you do that as we sing? Let's stand together and sing Silent Night, Holy Night.